0: Hey guys, what's up? I'm Yarel Ramos. And I'm Jessica Molina. We all have those wait-hold-up moments in life. Those times where our perspective shifts and our hustle changes as a result.
1: Each week, tune in as we chat with a new guest who's on their grind and learn the pivotal moments that shape their journey.
0: And when we're not chatting with a guest, Jess and I will dig into the latest wait-hold-up moments happening in politics and pop culture. You're listening to Wait-Hold-Up. What's up, everybody? Hey, guys. How's it going? How are you, Jess? I'm so good. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing much better than last week when I was having a a moment. Her (laughs) eye is normal, guys, except now my voice is gone. Yeah, so so. (laughs) it's been an
1: interesting last few weeks. (laughs) This is just a really great ping pong back and (laughs) forth of all of our ish, so um, don't mind the raspiness. It sounds sexy. Thanks. Thanks. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. (laughs) So- Um, I'm really. Are you ready for this one? I'm ready for this one. We're switching this up on you. I know. We got you ready for this. A dude on the show today. I'm so glad we
0: got a dude. Finally, a dude wants to come and share the love. I know. (laughs) We had invited a dude.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's very true. So Yarel and I have been really, um, like, really focused on making sure that we highlight. Dope Women of Color, and we have decided to, this season, open it up and make it people of color who are doing amazing things and who yes, are on their grind, absolutely. and we're going to see how that goes this season, and we'll just play it, you know, like we mentioned, we are just figuring these, this out, and we love that you guys are along on the ride, right. so, who are we speaking to today? Yes. so
0: today we're going to be uh, talking to Carlos Amaro. He is uh, an amazing makeup artist, probably one of the best makeup artists I've ever worked with. Uh, And even he's even more amazing with hair like he can do anything with hair. And on top of that, he's a crazy amazing stylist who's been in the business for uh, more than a decade now here in in Los Angeles. And he's just been doing really, really awesome work with amazing people like, uh, you know, the Cheetah Girls and Missy Elliott to um, Braxton's recently to Jenny Rivera. So uh, he's someone that everyone loves. He has this amazing energy, and he has a beautiful story to share.
1: Yes. Yeah, so today, you guys are going to hear about the childhood that he came from, and how he managed to overcome so many obstacles, yeah. including living on his own at get this, thirteen years That's old. Insane. Which is insane. Yeah. I can't even imagine, and and just how he found his art and his passion, and has managed to transform his life and the lives of those around him so we're so grateful that carlos decided to show his story with us and we can't wait for you guys to hear it so i want to dive into you grew up in coachella valley prior to us starting recording guys carlos was just talking a little bit about education and how education in his family how they've they feel like they, the system failed them in a lot of ways. So I want to hear about your experience with having the educational system fail you, but finding your own path because of that Past it, yeah. or in spite of that.
2: Yeah. Um. Well, it started the generation before my grandmother is from what I know, because not very many people know the story behind that because no one ever asked, which is weird to me. So the family came from Texas, and then they migrated to, like, Arizona and to a couple different states, and they just were field workers. And education was not a priority. It was just eating and family Mm -hmm. and kind of keeping it very basic. We're about five generations American, so it's a little different. We're not necessarily from Mexico. We were here when Mexico was America. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm sorry, the way around. Yeah, America. Uh, And so it still hits you as being an American that the poverty is still here. And I actually didn't understand that that's what was happening until my little sister, I moved my mother and my little sister upstairs and I knew at a young age, my mother, uh, wasn't good at dealing with any homework with me and I didn't understand what it was about. And I just thought it was laziness. My mom had me when she was 17. She was, you know, still living her life when Mm -hmm. I was young dealing with my little sister. Uh, I just didn't understand why it was so difficult for to stay on the curriculum and how to just not she couldn't comprehend a lot. And I, I in the beginning I felt really bad and I thought, well, maybe she's a little slow and I'm just going to work with her at her pace. Comes to find out it was nothing to do that she's very smart, she's very bright. It's just that she hasn't been pushed and it comes from my mom not knowing what to do.
0: When this happened with your little sister with your family that I feel, you know, you said you a few years ago you kind of took off took upon that role of like come over here to LA so that we can change the environment that you you're growing in um did you see yourself in your little sister like was it like oh um that was me when I was young or that was the environment that I was in so therefore I don't want her to be in that place anymore
2: more more that all of my family's addicted to drugs including my mother was a drug addict so if, well if I can just step back to mm-hmm, kind mm-hmm. of help or understand how this whole thing happened uh when I was 12 i started to know that my mom was doing more than just partying out with the friends because she started to become a different person she just wasn't close to me as a person and my mother and me were like best friends maybe too close for a child and an adult she just told me too much i was her best friend she confided in too much Mm -hmm. i knew a lot at a very young age (laughs) you know i can go back to many stories and i think back like you were really bored, mom, because you were just so <laughs> talking to me. I saw all these friends here, but you were not talking to them like you're talking to me because I knew a lot. But she trusted me, and we had a really strong bond. But around 12, uh, my little sister was born at 11, and I felt like she was a little lazy. And then me and her had these little fights, and also I'm a teenager, so I'm starting to speak up for myself what's not right. And she's like, who are you, and what are you talking about? You sit there, and you listen to what I tell you. You go to your room. And I was a good kid. And my mom Tell you, everybody will tell you. I was honest, I was very good, I was responsible, and I really felt like I was kind of watching my mom. I was constantly telling her right from wrong, or you know, that ain't right, or just kind of, she's like, Who are you? I'm the parent here, and you listen to me and you follow my lead, and I'd be like, Shaking my head, mom. Okay, and I was just a bit passive, but we had a relationship, but at that 12 and a half. Something was different and then I would find things like drugs and then I would flush them down the toilet and then she'd be looking for them and I'd act crazy like I don't know. And then I'd look for them days that she'd be at work and I'd go through every part of the closet and I'd go through her drawers and I'd be meticulous about putting things back. And they'd just be missing and since she was on drugs she couldn't quite blame me probably because she just is not focused at that time. But I didn't know that's what was happening. I was just doing my best to save my mom. Cause I was aware something's up. And since drug is really big in my family, I have two uncles at the time that are younger than her and they're both on heroin. And it was a very common thing for them to be our babysitters at my grandmother's house when everybody was working and not that they were babysitting us. Cause I was babysitting him. Right. <clears throat> he would be asleep with the, on the refrigerator with the refrigerator door open when I would come in from school and I'd be like, Oh, and he's so nice. Hey mijo. How was school? But he'd be like a walking zombie. So I put my arm around him and I'd like walk him Mm -hmm. to the couch and sit him down and tell him, you want something? I want a, you know, a sandwich, peanut butter, jelly, something like that. Mm -hmm. But it's what it was. So it was a common thing for me. And I look back at it now because I protect my little baby sister. Mm -hmm. I look at her like the exposure that was exposed to all of my cousins and all of those people. I'm like, sorry, what was wrong with them? What is going through your mind that you will allow this heroin addict to babysit any child? Mm -hmm. And he's out of prison, freshly out of prison, because they were only out for like a month or two before they'd steal from somebody or get back on drugs and mess up their parole. Yeah. But the drugs was really big in our family. So to me, there was something obvious to me. You're acting like them. So it was very easy for me to recognize. And then I kind of started doing the best that I could. And nosy teenager, you know, young teen trying to figure out what's up. And I'd find stuff and flush it. And then we'd get in big fights.
1: Was there a part of you that was, that knew that you didn't want to go down the same path? Yes. And at what point was that realization? Because it could have really gone a one of two ways. It could have been that you would have gone into the drugs and into that scene. Or like you really saying, I cannot continue this cycle in my family.
2: I, I think I always knew I didn't want to be that. I didn't know that I wasn't going to be that, though. I think that was through me experiment. I did experiment with drugs. And um, there was something different between me and all my friends. I would do a little something with them, and then I'd be good. And they'd be like, okay, here's time for more. And I'm like, why? We just did some, like, 30 minutes ago. And they would be like, let's do more, whether it was drinking or was whatever. It was obsessive. Mm -hmm. And that's where I felt like if you do that, you lose yourself. So to me, I thought my best way was I can't do it at all because – no one will let you just do a little. It's just part of it. If you ha- Even if you were alone, you're going to build a tolerance. I didn't know that. But too much was always too much for me. And I just knew that. So for me, the only thing I knew to do was to not do it. And also I had to make the choice to not surround myself with people that did it. And it, that included my family, too. Right.
0: And did that click at a young age? Like Did that click for you after experiencing all this with your family, with your mom, with your uncle? it or was it, it seemed like a
2: logical thing. Mm-hmm. But it clicked when I actually practiced it and did it so I wasn't around people and I would make it specific if you do totally cool don't do it around me because I don't want to see it and it's gonna make me change the way I feel about you so do that with your other friends whenever you want to do that but don't bring it around me and if you do we won't be friends and it did change and it was empowering and you learned that that realism was practiced and the outcome was successful
0: right And going back to to your mom right now that you mentioned that, you know, I always love to hear kids have such beautiful relationships with their parents because they're so vital, right? Um, Your your father, was he present or was he?
2: Um, My mother thought, my mom was seeing two men at the same time, one she didn't like and one she was in love with. The one that she was in love with was the one that she thought I belonged to and I have his last name. But Mm -hmm. when I was eight, I think the welfare came for him and they, you know, they want a blood test and they want to know. Who they're gonna come and get that money from so mm. um we found out that i wasn't his so obviously i belonged to this other guy that she told him when i was a little infant that that i didn't, I didn't belong to him and we don't know whatever happened and so i've never seen him so no dad
0: did, did what was a was there a part of you growing up that yearned for that yearn for that uh father I, figure
2: uh i would say i didn't know that's what i wanted but what i did want was a male influence i was surrounded mm. by women Right. My mother was also a lesbian, which is another little twist in that whole thing. Growing up, uh, pretty much all through my childhood, school until I left, she was with the same woman. When she was a deputy sheriff. She was a bit masculine, um, beautiful, fit, uh, but very aggressive. You know, making up for being the only woman that was a deputy sheriff at that time in Indio, which is not
1: a it's common, common for sure, right?
2: not not common at all. So, um, I did want that masculinity because I didn't feel comfortable being feminine, not because I was being judged, but I didn't really have what other boys had. And I always was kind of jealous. Well, why don't I, My why are my uncles out of jail? Why, oh, or why can't you be with a man? Mm-hmm. And it wasn't, it was, it was just that I didn't have the chance to like witness masculinity it was in a tv but you don't see that every day and you don't Mm -hmm. experience it and i was raised with pure women all my aunts and uh, no uncles were around no fathers were around so that's just what it was Mm -hmm. so in that aspect i can look back and say i did but it was for different reasons i didn't feel robbed that he wasn't supporting me and he wasn't Mm -hmm. doing that because linda which was my mom's lover did her thing she made Christmas Christmas. She made sure <laughs> we had all the snacks and all the foods, mm-hmm. and she was amazing. She, wow. was, she was hard, but she provided, and that's why I think my mom was with her that long. Mm. Well, wow. um, it it, didn't, it wasn't a plan. Um, I had moved on my own when I was 13, and I started... Uh, living on your own? Yes, yeah, so I was uh, 13 years <laughs> old. <so. She laughs> wait, 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 hold, she said, oh, stop oh, <laughs> wait, hold on. She hold stop there. Yeah, so at the time when I was 12 and a half to 13, me and my mother were having a lot of fights. Um, I had stayed with my aunt because she lived closer to my school, and she had asked me to move back with my mom because I was the only one that was going to stop her from doing drugs. And I thought to myself, "Why me? I'm still a kid, a child, yeah." Wow, so much but...
0: mm-hmm.
2: And I think back at it like, "You guys are all just so lazy siblings here. Like, you can't you can't help a sister out, <laughs> you know?" <laughs> literally, literally, <laughs> yeah. But um, at, at, we got in so many fights that I found a situation, which my first job was working for Linda. She was a m- Manager of a telemarketing office of this place called the American Bartending School, which is nationwide, teaches people how to bartend. I worked in the job placement department where I would basically find um, these bartenders their jobs, and I got that job and I did really well. Where I got awards uh, yearly because I beat everybody else in the department, and they're all older in their twenties. Yes, and. it was just me trying my best. Uh, and to me, I didn't feel like I was uber smart. It was just the will. Yeah, It's just the will to just do better, to prove. I had to prove myself. I was the youngest person in there, and I felt like it was a favor. Because mm-hmm. she's, come on, who needs a 13-year-old kid in an office right. of telemarketing where you got to be aggressive in selling? You know how hard it is to be a telemarketer. And um, back to doing this 13-year-old thing. Um, I still was living in, in my mom's house working there, and I remember my mom telling me, you know you're going have to give me this, some of this money. And I said, what? <laughs> Why? You don't even work. You're on welfare, and you use your money on drugs, and you don't give me any money. I'm basically paying for my own stuff right now. And she was like, well, that's what my mom did. And I said, well, I'm not doing that with you. I'm sorry. But if I have to move out and do my own thing, she's like, well, then maybe that's what you're going to have to do. And that wasn't an argument. It wasn't that nice and mature, probably. But that's how it feels like in my head. But (laughs) I feel feel
1: like your playback is a lot nicer. I'll take mine. Trust
2: me. There's been some ugly ones. But um, I ended up getting an apartment with a friend who was 19 years old. I would go to school in Indio, ride the bus all the way to Palm Desert and then have to transfer and then go to this telemarketing office that the, the bus didn't go to I had to walk a big distance. And then I'd work there for about six hours because school will only allow me to work so many per week. And then I'd have to hitch a ride back to that other thing. to, and, it, and it's dark, so it only takes me to a certain part of the city at a certain time. And then I have to walk a whole mile under the train tracks. And I do this every single day just to have a job and to pay for myself, oh my gosh. but um, we did that, and uh, it just was a process. You know, you had to learn. I learned how to balance my money. You know, you go through trial and error. You try to live a little, and then you can't live. <laughs> 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 and then um, I've also done it where I became like head of household because I was just the one who was a little bit more responsible. So I was from that age, no one was allowed to be in charge of the roof over my head. Wow. No one was, and it's still like that. And it's been hard for relationships because of it, but it's hard for me to trust someone with that type of security for me. I'm, I'm, I'm better at it. Um, I'm understanding it. But
1: but you had to rely on yourself for so long to, to then have someone come in and be like, I got you. I'm going to take care of you. And like, mm, but, well, but I didn't ask for all that. <laughs> I
2: tried. I tried. And then they would show me a little sign like calling in sick, and I'm like, it's a chop you into it, yeah, like, yeah, I, yeah. cause I just wouldn't call in sick. Yeah, that's just not who I was. But things like that just made it was scary for me, and it would just show me a responsibility. And I learned that if you want to depend on somebody, they have to show you those things, or you don't pair up with them. But um. We,
1: what, 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 we, uh, so we want to get to the to the beauty and how did you get into that part of so your life and then moving uh, into
2: L.A.? Got you. I went to my first gay pride at 17 years old. Me and some friends, she was telling me that uh, our other friend wants us to go out there. We came out to L.A. for this gay pride. And um, it was just kind of my first real gay experience. I had known I was, you know, I'd done some things, but I had not really been comfortable being in gay environments out a fear of maybe running into my mom's old friends. Cause they're all lesbians, you know, mm. from when I was a kid and they all know me. I, it was just kind of a fear cause it's a small Coachella Valley small and everybody knows kind of everybody. And, uh, went to this gay pride in West Hollywood. And I remember just thinking I've got to do something different and I've got to be me. So, um, I met somebody that gave pride and I think about, I planned it out cause I already I had an apartment with three other roommates and there, it was just a lot and I was over it already just cause that was the most roommates I've ever had in my life was three other guys. And, um, I decided that I, I was seeing this guy and I told him, well, I'm going to find an apartment and I'm going to do these things. And he talked me into, well, I have a spare room, so don't find an apartment. We'll be spending all this time with each other, moving and move all your stuff into that spare room. And, we'll just make it happen and i was like done so moved out to la when i was 17 moved in with this guy and then his roommate was this german immigrant who was working on melrose at this shoe store named rinaldi she was gorgeous like beautiful and she looked like a music video every single day i would be like what where is she going like (laughs) and it would be in the morning you know and i'm like just for a run (laughs) literally she was amazing german girl and uh, she was just super sweet. And I mean, they were older than me. He was uh 24. I was 17. So he was seven years older than me. And she, I think she was like 25. And so I remember she was like, she was like you two are so cute. You know, they're German acting. <laughs> and she's like, you're beautiful together. And she was like, where are you going to work at? <laughs> and she got right on it. <laughs> right on she it. She got wait, right wait, on wait, it. Wait. Where are you going to work? Where are you going <laughs> to work at? <Midness. laughs> yeah. So I was like, I'm, I'll go to the mall and I'll find a job tomorrow because that's me. I can find a job. And she was just like, you come with me to tomorrow, we'll get you a job. So next morning, we rode the bus together <laughs> from there to there. We get to Melrose. And she walks next door to her shoe store. And it's this place called Club 501 where they just sold all jeans, all kinds of jeans, jean jackets, jean things. And a lot of them were, um, what do you call them, um, vintage. Mm-hmm. And they were like $300, $300 old-ass pair of jeans and these Asian people to come and buy them up. So this is this hot thing back then when I was yeah. seventeen. If anybody knew Melrose uh, in the late nineties, early twenties, it was the hottest spot on earth. You actually, I mean, do y'all know? No, no,
1: I'm, 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 I'm only no, been there for three years, so I don't know anything about. Well, it's
2: nothing like that. <laughs> Just imagine like going down Rodale Drive with all the fancy, without the fancy but you can't even walk on the sidewalks because there's that many people that people have to walk around the cars parked on the sidewalks to get to another store. Oh, my gosh. It was that Monday through Friday, and it would be cruising. It would be so much congestion, but everybody looked like they were at a music video. Mm -hmm. Everybody was so So done up and so flying, so styled out. It was just the hottest thing. So this is like I'm here, and I'm like, this is the coolest street on earth. (laughs) I had not even heard of it. And I'm like, this is just so dope. I'm living, so I'm just meeting all these new people. And I'm working on Melrose. So
0: you got the job at the... Got
2: the job immediately. Well, they basically, they wanted to try me out. They wanted to see if I could sell. And since I was working as a telemarketer, you like, couldn't show you, you You, you, you <laughs> could not tell me I couldn't sell you. So that's kind of how it was. So I remember they gave me an hour, and I think I sold like a $1,000. And they were like, done. And I remember he was Israeli, and he's like, he sounds like a snake. I like him. <laughs> <laughs> I was like you know yeah. <laughs> totally I, I was feeling myself uh, I got the job and I felt really proud and I worked that whole day and I had just worked that strip I had worked many different stores for about three years and I got into fashion um that was basically how I started into this whole industry so um I worked that street and I ended up working at this one store that was really fly and I became the buyer so after becoming the buyer of this store I had more control of what was on our mannequins what we are wasting our money on and got to get rid of and what we need to bring into the store. And, and I, I, Sorry, Carlos. Yeah. In the
0: fashion industry, What is what does a buyer do?
2: Well, a buyer basically is somebody who understands the aesthetic of the establishment and the clientele and also the demographic of what clientele mm-hmm. are coming to the area. Right. So mm-hmm. if you don't understand that, okay, let's say you want to open a store, the most cutest little store, and you want... You're thinking big money and you're saying, um, I want to have these dresses that are all on the, the red carpet and the three and four hundred dollars. And you think you're going to put this in the middle of Boise, Idaho. You're going to be sitting on these things because no one goes to anything there. Right. Mm-hmm. So you have to understand you got to buy T-shirts and jeans and tennis shoes and maybe college town. You have to stick with sweatshirts and, and hoodie. It's just about the demographic right. and what sells in there. Okay. So a buyer has a choice to do and work for anything you want based on what your style is and you're better at what you do better. So Mm -hmm. for me, I was better dressing women. I loved it. I've always have. I was surrounded by women. My mother was very flamboyant in fashion when I was a little kid. That was one thing I'll give to her that she was different than anybody around me. I loved my mom. My mom would be all done up too much every day smelling like all the perfume (laughs) (laughs) she would have all these domino nails and just different stuff that now i see that they don't they didn't do that for almost like 15 years and now it's just on everything but my mom had all these crazy nails and i and i and no one else had that so i thought it was weird so it was kind of like i was that boy who would roll my eyes because everybody was staring at my mom
1: yeah
2: and that's what my mom was and i became her which Mm. i didn't realize until i became older i was the one overdoing it a little too much around everybody around (laughs) me. (laughs) So that's also, I think, what makes you artistic and creative. You're expressing Mm -hmm. yourself and you actually find comfort in it. So being a stylist, you also have a little bit more comfort than people that you dress. People just don't feel like that's them. You see it in them. And that's kind of like where you help people out. You learn to see it in people because you also experiment in your own chemistry room of fashion and you see what people like and don't like or what you get comments on and not or none at all and then you realize this does no effect on nobody right and this one does multiple times a day so there's something about this because it's not the same person telling you it's multiple different people of different colors of different fashions who are like i love that piece and there's certain pieces that are just like that and as a stylist you have an eye for these things so as a buyer, I didn't realize that inside of me I had a little stylist. <laughs> so I was styling a store and these mannequins and thinking of the people and the clients that come in. But I never thought of—I didn't even understand it was a career. Because wow.
0: you never did—you did you ever go to uh, college after high school? Or did you?
2: Well, uh, I mean, we skipped over that education thing. I also followed in the trade of not actually going through education as well. I didn't have the chance. I feel like to be able to have a successful environment for me to succeed in school. Mm. I had to deal with living. And yeah, so
0: yeah, 13, you were working. I, my, my I, friend, hello. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hello.
2: Yeah. So I dropped out when I was a sophomore and I just found it just too hard to keep up. I was always late. My teachers were pissed at me and it just felt like I was defeating everything. I mean, everything I was going up stream for everything it felt like. So I had to limit what I can handle and I had mm-hmm. to handle to live. So I ended up doing work experience, which was at our continuation school, and then I would go once a week and hand in these retarded packets of one plus one is this. And it's so basic. It's just for anybody to get a GED. And I just felt like this is a system that I don't want to subscribe to anymore because it's just stupid. I don't really think I'm learning anything when I read these packets. I'm not. These are things that are just common sense. And I'm not needing a GED right now. In my mind, I just didn't care. I just wanted to survive. So mm-hmm. I dropped out when I was a sophomore and I never went back to school. I never went I never went to college. And um I just use my creativity to do something with. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I basically am using my artistry right. and my envisions of Things I researched, I've been always into fashion since I was a kid. I always watch fashion shows. I've always And I didn't know that that was going to be part of my future. It's just something that I was schooling myself subliminally. It was like my own curriculum, things mm-hmm. that I just gravitated to. They ended up clicking later. Right. And I didn't know that's what's going to happen. It's just part of what happened. So there was a stylist that I would buy at my store. And I had a bunch of sales girls. So I was a manager of like 14 girls. They were constantly telling me, You got to get out of here. You're bigger than this. Mm. You're so young. You are so talented. You are so organized. You just have to get out of here. One of them, particularly, would work with the stylist all the time and she was constantly selling. He was like, Who's the damn buyer here? And they're like, Oh, he's this fine, young, goddamn guy and you have to meet him. Let me call him and try to get him over here. And they would call me and I'm like, I'm busy doing something else. I can't come. Who is this boy? I don't care. Is he buying or not? That was kind of what it was. Yeah. I, and so they were constantly like, he t- he says he will get you jobs, styling and stuff like that. You're if you're the buyer, you're the one he's actually cheating from. And I was, what do you mean? Like, what are you talking about? He just didn't understand what she was trying to explain to me. So one day he comes again and he's like, Where is this boy? I want to meet him. You guys keep talking about him. And so she calls me up and I walk over, and he was like, Oh, you are fabulous. And it was his. <laughs> There's African-American from Atlanta who was a stylist and did it a lot. So he would fly and do these gigs out here. And um, he had said, do you really want to be in here? And he was older. I think he was uh, probably like 10 years older than me. He's like, do you really want to be in here your whole life working on the street in a box and running these girls? And I'm like, what are you trying to tell me? I found it a little bit... Like I'm running stuff. This is my <laughs> yeah, store. Yeah, yeah. This is my world. And you're coming to me. What are you telling me? Like he yeah. was like belittling me. I wasn't. Uh, I wasn't receiving what he was saying in the beginning. And it was also the way he was talking to me. Right. So I. I kind of was just. He was like, "How about you just come and assist me one day? He's. I'll pay you four hundred dollars." And in my mind, I said, "How much?" <laughs> because I was making probably like two hundred a day with commission. In this store that I'm working nine hours straight, Monday through Friday, or six days a week. Mm-hmm. So I was thinking to myself, I'm down to just try it. It sounds exciting. And he's like, you'll love it. You'll be perfect. Just try it. So he told me I have two gigs. He's I've like, one this day and I've one that way. And I need an assistant for both. And he's like, can you get it off? So I worked the first one out. And it was a music video for Missy Elliott and Genuine. Oh, called, my gosh. Yeah, it was called Hit It With The He, H-E-E which was slang for heat, I think. Uh, I'm not really sure, I I asked around at that time. (laughs) Um, But uh, I remember I did all the wardrobe for it, me basically all by myself. I picked it all out and he just went with it. And it was just an amazing experience. First of all, I was in love with Missy. I knew every damn song and I danced to every damn song at the club. Yeah. And genuine was just the hottest guy at the time for about yes. five years. <laughs> and it, yeah. And you're like, Whoa. So you're like Zan
1: and Zan. <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm, I'm here for street. it. I know, right. And you want to pay me on top of it? Okay, okay. It
2: was fun. I, I felt like I was socializing and eating and and everybody was so cool and positive. And I just mm-hmm. had not seen that. And I'm like, and we're getting paid? Like this is awesome. It was a long day. It was a lot of adrenaline, so I didn't feel like it was that long because yeah. it was still the beginning. Mm-hmm. But that was a big eye opener for me. It was like people get paid for this, and wow, I could be something different. And I just I didn't even look at something like that at that time. I was just surviving and making good money for what I thought I was doing for not having an education. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: That and I thought I was doing good. I think I was making like three or four thousand dollars a month, and I was. 17 to 19 and I thought I was doing great but I didn't realize that I was working like a slave and I had no life. I didn't do nothing in LA. I did Melrose every day.
1: Melrose was
0: your life.
2: It was. I didn't know it.
1: So it was really about someone who saw your potential and tapped you and awoken you to a whole new life that you didn't even know existed. Absolutely. So then I'm assuming shortly after you leave this store and did the, did everything come together quickly for you afterwards
2: uh it, it basically i did a two more job wait two two or three more jobs with this guy no i did actually well the jobs were long jobs so it seemed like a lot more um and i th- i fell in love with it and i told myself you can actually do this i do have what it takes he's not even doing any of the picking at all because he doesn't think he's as good as i am and i didn't realize that was happening I just thought that's what assistants do. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So I gave myself two months to save up money to quit on New Year's Day as my resolution to just give it a full-on chance. And that was 2001. And I literally remember my boss, he was doing the countdown with me all the way to the day of New Year's Eve. And he says, he's like chuckling and laughing. He's Israeli, Moroccan Israeli. And he's like, Carlos, so you're not showing up tomorrow? Yeah. And I was <laughs> like, you did not find nobody? And he was like, look, if you don't show up tomorrow, I'm not going to be hiring you back if you need a job. And I said, I'm not planning on coming back. What are you talking yeah. about? You think I'm doing this just to do things? And he was like, so you're just going to leave? And I said, I gave you a month notice. What are you talking about? Yeah. And he was just like, I don't know. Everybody talks that they want to get off this street and this and this and that. Mm. And I was just like, I'm doing this buddy I saved the money And I'm gonna give it a shot It's
1: funny how people Make you feel indebted to them Like You're gonna walk away From this great opportunity That I gave you And you're like I'm the talent bro I'm the one that's bringing The money into your store
2: He got under my skin I kind of felt it And he's got a tactic You know There's a lot of people That do that When they find someone great They find a way to keep them Right Mm -hmm. And I'm glad that I didn't let him break me Because My life changed Three weeks later It literally It was on Melrose So it's funny Uh, I was just going to get coffee on my same little thing with my people that I know just not the store that I was working at Mm -hmm. just to say hi to everybody and I was a little lonely because that was what I did every day (laughs) (laughs) So I remember I was walking and I, I went into one of the stores of, of stores that one of the stores that I liked, the girls. There was like three that worked in there. So sometimes when I'd walk, I would spend like five, fifteen minutes, but it was like, I gotta get back to my store. But I loved hanging out with them. So I was in there just talking with them and this girl's like shopping and checking out these earrings. And then she's like, Do you think these look good on me? or that one and they're like, Ask him, he's the stylist. And then she's like, You're a stylist? And I said, Yeah. And then she says, okay, well, I need your card. She goes, because I needed somebody for my video next week. And I said, okay, well, I don't have cards yet. Because I didn't do that yet. (laughs) You're like, they're in the mail. Yeah, yeah. I was like, 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 ah, checking my pockets here. Oh, Oh, shoot, I'm fresh out of them. And, um, and we exchanged information and then she immediately was calling me like, and what do you think about this? And what do you think about that? And I was like, well, how about we just have a meeting and we'll do it from there? And I was just trying to be my first real time, trying to be professional about myself. Um, how about we just uh, set a date and we do this time and, <laughs> and we'll just, you know, I'm trying my best. And you know. You're
1: like, Oprah, she, she can wait. Uh, yeah, yeah, I was basically trying
2: to read some game. <laughs> so uh, I ended up meeting up with her at her record label. And... The funniest thing is that I ran into another person on that record label at a party having some cocktails and she was telling me she was an artist and I didn't believe her. Because people say that stuff all the right, time. Right. Everybody has a record deal right. and everybody's single's coming out next month. <laughs> so, and at that time, at that time, yes, everybody uh, I was. I
1: think that's still the case. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you're right. You're right. You're right. <laughs> it's still happening. It's still LA. <laughs> yeah, so
2: I remember she was telling me over some cocktails and telling me, and, and she came out to me because she thought I was pretty. So she was just like, You were just so pretty and this and that. And I was like, Thank you. What do you do? I'm a stylist. And then she's like, Really? Well, I need to get your information. And she's going into all that. And I was just like, mm. And she's inside of that meeting sitting there already with the owner of the record label and she was like oh my god i know you i just saw you oh my god i told you i, I was gonna call you and i'm like this is the girl at the club i still was trying to figure it out who she was <laughs> i was yeah, pretending yeah, yeah. and i'm like this is the girl at the club she's really signed to a record label and i'm just saying this under my breath and it's yeah. just the strangest coincidence that i'm brought in from one artist and i'm just like sitting here like this is really happening. I left it and I'm here in a meeting with the record label discussing doing jobs for fifteen and two thousand dollars. And I'm literally and I'm saying this, I was literally just throwing numbers out there to see if that's what I can get and they didn't even flinch. Wow. And I was coming from400 dollars assisting. So to me, I just was like, he ate it. And in my mind, I'm literally screaming oh, inside. Did he fucking say yes? <laughs> <laughs> he didn't even flinch. So I thought to myself, holy crap, I'm literally going to get money right now. Like, I was just <laughs> tripping. I wrote up a contract right there for the dates, the amount they had to give me 50% deposit that was part of my contract. Oh
0: <laughs> my gosh, Carlos. Well, great. I did
2: all. And so I left there feeling 10 feet taller, thinking to myself, that was a big experience for me. I made a lot of money. I I saved a lot of money. I bought me a Range Rover, which was a dumb mistake. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a Hollywood. It's an L.A. thing. I did. I was 22 years old, and I was stupid. <laughs> and my best friend was telling me, don't do it. Don't do it. Stop being ghetto. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, I just got to be a little ghetto. I'm like, I'm like,
1: I actually kind of really want that car. Right. Uh, yes. <laughs> I, know, I know, I know, I
2: do too. I'm getting another one when I'm really rich this time. <laughs> anyway.
1: Well, I, I, I feel like there's so much more that we can get into. Um, but I, there's so many takeaways yes. that yes. are in your story. Your life, could have turned out completely different. You had basically no parental supervision. You dropped out of high school. You moved with some kind of stranger to a new city. Yes. Um so all of this all of the things that any parent who would be supervising you would have told you do not do. Right. However, there is this thread of ambition that mm-hmm. is weaved throughout your story. Yes. So Other than that, what other qualities do you think that you have brought to this life experience that has allowed you to be as successful as you are?
2: I think, um, you know, we haven't gotten into God and in our beliefs, but I believe that there's a reason that that happened to me. And I think just, I mean, I will say it was very challenging and very hard. And, you know, there was a lot of tears and a lot of whys and a lot of all those things. But I get it now. And I think that I just was strong enough to go through this stuff, that it's me that's saving my family. And I think that if I wasn't exposed to all these other people, and I'm not talking about the boyfriends and that there was a lot of beautiful people along that way who really felt horrible that I was in this situation at such a young age with a mother that was on drugs, that really just tried to give me wisdom. Mm -hmm. And I think that if I was still under my mom's illiterate wing, Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have been exposed to such beautiful, amazing people to give me this type of wisdom and to give me the push that true friends give each other. Mm-hmm. It just wouldn't have happened. And I think that because I went through such a hard time I and it's affected my relationships and love and stuff like that, that my path has gotten me to forgive and to understand what this whole purpose and why did this happen. And I think that if I didn't do this whole thing and move away and seek inner love and peace and understanding and why this happened and why is life so difficult for me and my family and people around me, I wouldn't be able to see clearly to save them. So me Mm. doing this self improvement and finding myself, it was able for me, I was able to understand what happened to my mom, Mm -hmm. what happened to my grandmother, and it's just so simple to see that, let me help them out of it, because it was a pathology that they just pass on from generation to generation, Mm -hmm. and they just don't understand that if you keep doing it, you'll keep living it. Yeah, and and healing
0: these wounds, right? That have, t- have passed on generation after generation. T-
2: totally, and it just keeps them there though. Mm-hmm. So if I hadn't done all, I mean if I hadn't gone through all those things, I wouldn't be able to save them and that's basically what I'm doing. I'm ge- I'm loving them in ways they weren't able to love me and now they're able to love me mm-hmm. because they're actually healed a little bit better. So my mom being a drug addict and and not doing the best as a parent for all those years, I forgive her, but now I'm able to get her back because now I've given my vulnerability back to her Mm -hmm. because that's what I took away from her when she got on drugs. So me giving her my vulnerability has been the most healing thing all the way around now. It's so weird. I didn't know that I needed it again. Mm. I'm strong. Nobody needs to pay my bills. No one can really do anything that I can't do for me. Like I'm very domestic. I can do anything, anything. You can't do anything that I can't do. I'm sorry nobody i can't nobody can do anything that I can't do. I can literally put my mind to anything, and I don't need anybody for anything and so my mom and friends and people don't have a place to like make me feel like they love me or that they will do for me, and I've been able to tell my mom now that I need you to know that I'm sensitive and I'm vulnerable and I'm not all strong like you think I am. And I need you to be able to know that about me. And I need you to know that you need to ask about me, too. And I need to ask about you. And mm-hmm. we've turned this whole thing around and refound found love again. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. now I'm mm-hmm. just living beautiful memories to put all the old ones so far back that you can't even remember them.
1: Well, even though mm-hmm. you were telling us some of the fights, you were like, well, you know, it just happened sort of like this and a little yeah, bit yeah. like this. <laughs> You're like, it maybe wasn't so nice. I'm like, I don't think it was that nice. Right. But I think what's so great is that this is your story is one of success, not that's not just about professional success. That's success
2: to me. Yeah. And I think a lot of people think as being a millionaire or accomplishing this job or this idea of a fantasy that you have. I think that can be people's dreams and I mean, dreams and success. But my success is finding love with my family again. And finding love with myself and being able to understand that because I didn't have that for all these years, I was really hurt. So I'm grateful for that. I didn't know that this all this work was going to have that outcome. It was totally unexpected. It was, uh, ex- I don't, I can't even give it words. It was so empowering, it, but sidetracked, like, wow. I win everybody back and I get to win understanding myself to another level that i had not known that was going to happen by doing all this work
1: and you found your true artistic passion totally that's amazing
0: yeah uh, thank you so much for sharing your story with oh you're us. welcome yeah thank you so much i know there's i feel like there's like so much more to to tell we're going to have to bring him back I know um, we need like part, part two, and two and three because he's actually really good with relationship advice he's amazing oh
1: maybe <laughs> we should have like a, mm, a moment one. where we ask our listeners you right. guys can send in some questions and we'll have uh, Carlos back on yeah. well,
2: I'll give you perspective of male and female that's where I can help you yeah. oh, mm, awesome. I'm right in the he's middle i right. <laughs> <laughs> right in the middle we'll he'll, he'll,
0: <laughs> he'll set things straight for us for oh, awesome thank you well, so Carlos, much Carlos thank you so much for stopping by thank you for sharing your story thank we you we hope that all of uh, the listeners and everybody that just listens to it, you know, feels empowered, feels moved by what you went through. Because I, I, I feel a lot of us can relate, you know, to coming from these stories of, Uh, or these places where we usually become products of our environment. It's just that's the way it is. And to break those barriers and have so many limitations but still fulfill all these dreams and then go back and bring the rest with you over here. I think that's beautiful. I think that's the story of a lot of people in our communities, a lot of people of color, a lot of people that are marginalized right now. So thank you so much for sharing it. Thank you so much for being an inspiration to, to to me um, oh. And, you know, we wish you the best of luck with everything that you're doing because we know you're doing big things. So
2: Thank you. And can where you guys can everyone me. follow you? Um, I, I mean, I'm not very big on social media and I have a lot of friends that have a problem with it, but my, <laughs> <laughs> my Instagram is carlos__amoro and um, I will be getting into posting more things. I'm just... Uh, He's just busy. I'm He's busy. just busy. I'm not into myself <laughs> like that. <Bye. laughs> All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank
0: you, Carlos. So so, fire yes. i'm like so inspired and moved and it's just beautiful you know to see like so much adversity in someone's life and so much so much that goes on and how he was able to overcome yeah. it yeah and like find himself at such a young age find what he loved to do and make it something so powerful now yeah. you know his family bringing his family to live with him it's a, it's amazing I, I i'm always like moved and touched by these stories of uh, you know determination and so much hard work and it's it's beautiful it's yeah and i love that the definition of
1: success for him was really about finding that peace and connectivity within his family and just to repair like relationships broken, that have been broken yeah. and i think that that's a really great reminder and, and and a theme that i feel like comes up in this show a lot is that when people are talking about their moments of success it's never really about what they were able to buy because of it. Like, yeah, like, if they were able to buy a house for their family, like, yes, but it's more about the fact that they were able to do something for their family. Right. And so that is just something that I hope that we can all take away with, that we get really caught up in the accolades and the dollar signs. Yeah, and, and the noise. Yeah, and the noise. And it's like none of that really matters at the end of the day. Yeah, so. Absolutely. Thank you, Carlos, for sharing your yes, story with us. And thank you
0: to all that have been dropping comments and uh, reviews on iTunes yes. and leaving us uh, really beautiful things on all our social. Make sure to follow us. Uh, the handle is Wait Hold Up Pod uh, on Twitter, Instagram, and of course, uh, let us know and give us a review and some stars on yes. iTunes. Yes.
1: <laughs> Definitely leave <laughs> us some comments on Instagram, though. We yes. we love hearing what you guys have to say. Until
0: next time. See you guys next week. Bye.